Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together to worship you and to look at your word. We ask your Holy Spirit to guide and lead us as we study the rest of the life of Josiah in tonight's study. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Kings chapter 23, we're going to be starting at verse 24. Uh, we've been covering Josiah coming into being a king. He started reigning at eight years old. They found the book of the law in the temple when he cleaned it out when he was 18. Uh, it was read before him and he bowed his heart in, in repentance. Uh, last week we looked at him destroying all the temples to other gods and all the all the killing all the priests to the other gods and they they ended up having uh, the Passover and they'd never had one like that before or since it said uh, because he butchered off thousands of cows hundreds of thousands no it was thousands hundred lots of cows <laughs> no no sheep like he was supposed to but he butchered off oxen and everything and they had a huge meal uh, he kind of was one of those that if God wants this I'll give him more type mentalities <laughs> Uh, so he didn't quite do Passover the way it was supposed to be, but God honored it anyway because his heart was in the right place. Um, so we look, over, we look over all of this, and in verse 24, Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. And likened to him was there no king before that turned to the Lord with all his heart and all his soul and with all his might according to the law of Moses. Neither after him arose any there any like him. Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherefore to his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocation that Manasseh had provoked him wherewithal. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house which I have said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Judah? All right, so we're continuing here that God is praising the acts of Judah, uh, Josiah. All right. Uh, he says that Josiah destroyed those with familiar spirits or necromancy, those who tried to speak with the dead. He got rid of all the wizards. He got rid of all the images, the idols, all the abominations. And remember in the previous section, he got rid of the, temple, the, the temples that Solomon built for his wife on, on Mount Olivet. He, is going, he even went into Israel and destroyed all the idols in, uh, in the northern kingdom that's been conquered. I mean, he is going full force trying to get God to relent and say, we're going to follow God with all our heart. Now, we're going to find out that as, as much as he was seeking God, the majority of the people did not. As soon as he dies, everything goes back to the way it was. So even though he's doing this and everybody's outwardly seeking after God, they're not getting a heart change. And this is the problem. And God knows there's no heart change. Even though he's going to hold off during Josiah's reign, there's no heart change in the people. They're not seeking after him. They're just kind of, okay, king says we can't have these things. We're going to lose, we're going to lose them. But we really want to follow after this. 
And this is the way people are, even in our day. If they do repent, it's not oftentimes a wholehearted repentance. And he says he got rid of all of those things. He put away everything. He was trying hard to perform what God said in the Pentateuch and working hard at it. You know, he's cleaning everything out. He's getting rid of all the household gods, the wizards, the, ima the images. I don't know if they went house to house to get rid of all these images or they just, anytime they heard reports, they got rid of them. But he is getting rid of everything that he can possibly find. He says, I am going to follow God 100%. And because I'm following God, my nation's going to follow God. And I'm sure there were many that did, but not all of them. They didn't change their heart and seek after him. And this is the thing that God wants from us. And, it, and I love the beauty of this in verse 25. There was likened to him no other king before which turned to God with, with all his heart, his soul, his might to follow after the law. And that's the greatest commandment, to seek after God, to, obey, to worship God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength you know, in, in, in the New Testament. So all the parts of Josiah sought after God. And God recognized that and said, he is doing well. There is a revival sweeping across Judah and Israel, apparently. Now, it's kind of being forced by the king. Uh, most of these people did not want to get rid of their idols, quite obviously, because the next generation, right after he dies, goes right back to the idols. But he is trying to do everything he can to bring a revival. This is why Chronicles tells us that if my people shall, who are called by my name shall call upon my name, then God will turn. Josiah does not get the people to turn, turn to him. He's turned to them, and a remnant is going to turn and, and follow, but the people as a whole are not wholeheartedly. King says we can't worship any of these gods. Okay, we won't worship these gods, but we really want to. You know, the, the story of the little boy in trouble, you know, for running around and, and making a mess. And he's, he's sitting in the corner goes, I may be sitting in the corner, but I'm running around in my mind. <laughs> okay. This is where the people were. I may be sitting down. I may be going to the temple to worship God. I may be forced to go to these, these religious events, but I am not wholeheartedly following this God. And we see it again because everything changes instantly. It's not a gradual. It, it just full bore switches back over as soon as Josiah dies. And this is the thing that we need to always remember. God is wanting a heart attitude change that changes everything that we seek about him. And we know when we get there. You know, we know when we get there, we say, God, I just want to. I want to serve you. I want to do what you want. Do we find ourselves sinning? Yes, unfortunately, we find ourselves sinning. But our desire is to seek after God. The people at this time are just doing outward, outward exposure. Much like they did when they followed Moses. You know, every time they got an opportunity under Moses, they griped and complained. You, know, you brought us out here to kill us. You know, there wasn't enough graves in Egypt, so you brought us out here. Where's the water? We need water. Where's the food? We need food. You know, uh, where's this man Moses? He, went, he disappeared 40 days ago. He hasn't come back. Where is he? You know, Aaron, make us a god. You know, all these things, and they're immediately, as soon as Josiah is going to die, they're going to go make us some gods. Let's get some gods out here that we can see and worship. And Josiah has tried hard to do this. He's very uh, zealous of God. And remember last week we looked at him. He's, a, he's up in the northern kingdom that's conquered in part of, eight, uh, part of the Syria. 
it's been conquered and he's up there destroying idols in, in the northern kingdom because that's part of Israel as far as he's concerned. He says, that's our land. God gave it to us. I'm getting rid of all the idols there too. And, you know, and he was very zealous for God, doing everything that he could to bring the people back to God. And unfortunately, it doesn't work. You know, people will say you can't legislate morality, and that is true, but by the same token, the government is responsible to protect people, and he's trying hard to protect them. And that's what verse 26 says, Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherein his anger was kindled against Judah, because of the provocations of Manasseh. Now remember, Manasseh is Josiah's grandfather, a great-grandfather, excuse me. There's been two kings since Manasseh. But Manasseh was so evil that God says, that's it, I'm done with them. But you know what? The long-sufferingness of God, when he says, I'm done with somebody, he still gives people a chance. They still had the opportunity to repent. If the people had repented at this time, I think that Josiah would have won the day. But God said, and he knew when he told Josiah that his kingdom, his children were going to be taken into captivity, God knew that the people's hearts would never be changed. God is waiting for the end days when he says the last person who's going to change before the tribulation period has come. And then he can bring the tribulation period and all the judgment upon us. When that'll happen, I don't know. Maybe that should motivate us to go out and witness. Maybe we can be the one that wins the last last Gentile to the Lord and have the rapture hit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it'll happen as soon as they're saved or not, but you know, can you imagine? You got saved, whoop, everybody's gone. <laughs> um, Josiah's trying to do this, but the people's hearts aren't there. And God says, I'm not going to repent of my action. And Josiah probably bought them a few extra years, a couple extra decades, because the people have somewhat, so many of them have repented. This happens every time there's a, rebel, uh, a rebellion, a revival, <laughs> it buys time. Nineveh, in, in Jonah's day, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. They, they had a repentance and they bought 150 years. Uh, all through the book of Judges, the people were all set to be destroyed. They, all re they would repent under the judge and God gave them an extra time. God responds to revival. But in this case, his promise is you're going to be destroyed. And we're going to see very quickly that Judah is going to go into captivity. And Josiah, even with all that he's doing, has not been able to get the people's hearts changed to be able to change God's mind completely. Verse 27 said, And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. I will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen in the house in which I have said, my name shall be there. Now, we read this as Gentiles. And we say, okay, what's the big deal? God has chosen Jerusalem. He says, this is my city. This temple is where my name is going to be. The people, when they heard something of this nature, this was treason. God would never, ever abandon Jerusalem and Judea and, and the temple. This is, you see the same thing in Jesus' day. They had the same attitude. They had rebuilt Jerusalem. They had rebuilt the temple. God had come back to, the, back to the land and given it back to them. 
And they never believed that God would destroy that temple. That God would destroy that city. Even though they were sinning and not following after him, they never accepted that God would judge them. He'd already done it once, so I don't know why they didn't believe it for this time. But this is the way it is. This was God's city. His country. His temple. How could he let something happen to it? And, and here they're being told, God is going to destroy all of this. You're going to lose your city. And this is going to be the first time Jerusalem was lost. All right, so this is a really big deal. The temple has been there since Solomon built it. The city has been there since before David conquered it. It's been the head chief city of Israel since David conquered it. 600 years of this being the, the center of everything. God told Solomon, if, you're, if you'll obey me, then I will dwell on this house forever. And they didn't keep their part of the bargain, but they still, they had this habit of leaving out the if part of the bargain. Just like many people do today. God says, if you obey me, this will happen, and we forget the if. And expect God to bless and they were in that spot. And this is a shocking statement for the Israelites to hear. <laughs> Jerusalem, no way God's going to. And so they would look at the prophet, and it doesn't tell us who said this, but it, they would look at this prophet and say, who are you saying this? Who are you? Many of the prophets were executed or thrown into prison because of such things that were in, interpreted as treason. It would be like somebody coming up to America and saying, Washington, D.C. is going to be destroyed tomorrow. You know, uh, and if it happened, they'd be immediately arrested for planning, uh, planning the terrorist activity. But this is what we're at. You know, they're saying the city is going to be destroyed. God is going to get rid of his people. And they're all looking back. Well, God rescued us out of Egypt. He gave us this land. There's no way he's taken it away from us. You know, they were living in the past blessings of God, but not living according to what he told and trying to say God's going to bless us with the past blessings, even though we're not living in today's truth. And this is very important. This happens in many churches even today. People aren't willing to get into the word of God. They're not willing to follow God, but yet they want God's blessing. We're Christians. We believe in God. He's going to bless us because we're his children. But, well, don't give me the stuff I've got to obey what God says in the Bible. Don't tell me I've got to pay attention to him. He's just going to bless us because he's God. And this is where they were at at that point in time. They haven't been worshiping God. Josiah is getting rid of all their idols. And we read the long list of idols that he got rid of. You know, every idol that could possibly be in Israel was in Israel. And Josiah has been destroying them. And the people probably are a little perplexed. Uh, what's wrong with this young, young kid? I mean, he's only, he's only 26 when he starts this stuff. You know, what's wrong with this young kid destroying all of our idols? Mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and great-grandpa and everybody else has been worshiping these idols and we've been okay. What's wrong with this young, young, new young king destroying everything? And they're all basically going to be angry with him that he's destroying their lifestyle. You know, he is getting rid of everything that we have always done, at least as far as they know. <laughs> And he's going through and getting through. And God says, I'm going to destroy this. And then it says, now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? 
We don't have that one, but we do have more of his story in, in, in the book of Chronicles. Uh, but he's not dead yet. <laughs> one more story to go through for, for Josiah. Verse 28 to 9. And in his day, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river of Euphrates, and King Josiah went out against him, and he slew him at Megiddo when he had seen him, and his servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo, and brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own sepulcher, and the people of the land took Jehoiahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's stead. All right, not much there. Decided to king, the, uh, the pharaoh's coming across his territory to go join uh, Assyria in the, by the Euphrates, and he attacks, the, he goes out and intercepts the king and dies. Want to take a quick look at Chronicles. Uh, 34, I believe it was. Second Chronicles. 34. 35. Second Chronicles 35, starting at verse 20. And after this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necro, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Gargamesh of, by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with you, you king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house wherein I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, forbear me from, forbear me, haste, forbear you from meddling with God who is with me, that he destroy you not. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him, and hearkened not unto the words of Necro from the mouth of God, and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot at, at the king Josiah, and the king said to his servants, They have, have a way, for I am sore wounded. And his servants therefore took him out of the chariot and put him in a second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his fathers. And all Judah and, and, Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. This is very interesting, and I wanted to read this because this one doesn't tell us why he died. But Josiah died because he went to war on a, a battle that wasn't even his to be involved with. All right? And this is kind of a lesson for us. Don't get involved with things that we're not supposed to be involved with. All right? And Josiah was warned. The king says, I don't have any business with you. Go back. Now he, now he said it in a way that was kind of insulting. I have no business with you this day. All right, that's a little bit of, you know, slap in the face of it, you know, get away. You know, when I come for you, you can come out, but don't, I'm not coming for you today. And Josiah decided to go to war. Now, there is nothing in either of these accounts to say, did he go to God and ask for God's permission? Now, it is provocative. Pharaoh's crossing his territory. To get from Egypt to the Euphrates, Unless you go straight up the coast and come across to Syria, you had to go through Judah. 
So in one sense, it makes sense that he's going out to uh, king. You're not, you know, you're not. Going, I'm not giving you permission to go through my my land. And the and Pharaoh says, "Well, I'm in a hurry. I'm, I'm I'm on God's business. We don't know what God's business he's on at the moment, but I'm on God's business. <laughs> you know, get out of my way so I don't have to hurt hurt you." And Josiah does not listen. He goes out to fight and ends up dead. Now, this is something that's very important for us. Too many times people get involved with other people's business and try to make it their own business. Virtually every time it ends up bad. Josiah, now he had the right, okay? Pharaoh is crossing his land. He, he could have been more nice and say, Pharaoh, you know, go, go the coastal highway. Stay. I'm not giving you permission to go through my land. Could have given him permission to stay on the highways, you know, highways and, and not leave the highways. But he tried to stop him. And he thought he was something bigger than he was. He's been defending God. He's been working to, fit, to, to do things God's way. God is surely going to bless me as I defend my territory against this this man crossing, crossing over with his army to fight. Uh, who what was his logic? We don't know, but I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. He went out to, you're crossing my land. I'm not going to let you cross my land. All right. Pharaoh is going up to the Euphrates to help Assyria in the battle against Babylon because Babylon's becoming the up-and-coming nation who's going to be conquering Assyria and will conquer Egypt in the long run. So this is... The number one power right now was Syria, the number two current power, Egypt, and the up and rising number three power, Babylon. And Pharaoh is saying, I got to get up here and help my buddy king of Assyria because I don't want Babylon to get busy. And Josiah decides to meddle with the number three nation of the world, the empire of the world at the time. And Gets a warning, you know, you have, have nothing to do with you. My quarrel isn't with you, Josiah. Go back to, go back to your little city and just hide. Don't, you know, don't, don't bother me. You know, I'm, going, I'm cutting through your, your land whether you like it or not. Uh, I don't have any problem with you yet, so don't, don't get in my way. And I can picture that, the king, that Pharaoh was not being nice, probably being provocative as much as you can be within diplomatic languages. You know, like I say, in the, in the original it says, I have nothing to do with you, uh, with you at this time. That's provocative. Go home, go home and wait for me. When I'm done up here, I'll come back and take care of you. All right. So he's being provocative within all of this diplomatic language. And Josiah is not going to take it. He is God's defender. He has gone into a Syrian territory, which was... Israel and destroyed, uh, destroyed altars and destroyed uh, all these idols and left with no problem. Assyria didn't bother him. He's thinking he's pretty bold. He's, he's thinking I'm pretty good stuff. Assyria didn't bother me. You know, they didn't, because remember, Assyria had conquered nor the northern kingdom and he went in there and wiped out all the, all the golden calves and Baal and Astoros in their territory and got back with, no, with nobody picking on him. So he's pretty full of himself. He's thinking that he's got this all down. You know, he's on God's side. Nobody can stand on him, against him. Yeah, might have checked, checked with God first. Might have wanted to check with God first. Uh, 
Now, this is true in most battles. You know, it's kind of interesting in the American Civil War, both the Union and the Confederate Army thought God was on their side. All right? Uh, kind of an interesting situation. The War of Independence. The American settlers thought God was on our side, <laughs> and the uh, British Army thought God was on their side. You know, during World War II and I, everybody thought God was on their side. But as was said, you know, it might be interesting to make sure you go talk to God and find out whose side he's on, if he's on anybody's side in the particular battle. And Josiah went out and meddled in something that he should not have meddled in. And trying to, trying to protect it, you know, I'm going to give him credit. I think he's trying to protect his territory. Pharaoh's riding across it. He's, he's probably smart-mouthing him. As, you know, and we do see that indication. I have nothing to do with you at this time. Uh, and other events that were going on. And, but he never did. He didn't do the one most important thing that David always did. God, should I go up to battle? Should I go take this battle or not? And we see that in various others. Hezekiah, uh, uh, Jehoshaphat. They all would go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And I'm not going to say he didn't, but he died, so I don't think he did. I think he just decided... Pharaoh's crossing my territory, I'm stopping him. And nothing was going to stop him from going into battle. Maybe he was just looking forward to going to war. I don't know. Uh, but he goes out, he rides out, and he gets shot. And ends up going back to die in Jerusalem to be buried. And so this is kind of an interesting, interesting thing. Going out and doing what we're not supposed to do is going to get us in trouble. All right? Uh, and it's very important, you know, there are times when we step in and, and, and battle and fight because God says, this is what you do. There's also times when we just step back and say, God, what do you want me to do? And if it's not our battle, stay out of it. Now, we are told to help the widows and the orphans and, the, and the, those that are being treated unjustly. If Pharaoh had been riding through the land and wiping out the people and he went to God and God said, yep, you go take care of him. He's hurting my people. Then Josiah would have won the battle because God would have been on his side. But I think here he's just saying, he's riding through my territory and he made it clear, I don't have anything to do with you today. I'm going up there. I'm going up there to battle up at the Euphrates. And he tried to get in his way. All right? And this is very important. What do we do? How do we decide what we do? Do we come to God and pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? Too many times we do things because we think it's right. And maybe it is even right. right? Josiah, if his, true, if his true motivation was not just to go to war, but if his true motivation was to try to stop Pharaoh from crossing his territory, it may have been a right decision nationally. We don't have enough facts, but he never went to God and said, God, I need your help. What do you want me to do? And if he had, God would have given him victory if, it was, if he was told to go. Now, maybe he just needed to be gotten rid of because God's bringing judgment. We don't know. But he went out and did the wrong, maybe the right thing at the wrong time. It's possible to do that as well. It's possible to do the right thing, but do it at the wrong time and get in God's way. 
we need to be very careful because God is the one who's in charge. And there's no indication that of all these things. And one of the things that we see is there's no indication anywhere in here that he ever talks to God other than his repentance. Now, he does a lot of things for God. He hears the word of God and he is repentant. He's trying to keep it to the best of his ability. His Passover did not include lambs. It included oxen and, and cows instead of lambs. And they had a huge feast. They did not do a Passover, but everybody remembers his Passover. Right? He's doing everything with the right heart, but not doing it God's way. And nowhere in this do we ever see him praying before he goes out and does things. He just goes out and does it. God said, destroy temples. I'm going to go destroy all the temples. God said, get rid of all the idols. I'm going to get rid of all the idols. God said, have Passover. We're going to have Passover. And he just did everything because of what it said in the law. And never, we don't see him praying. We don't see him seeking God. We don't see him seeking a prophet for advice and directions. He's kind of headstrong. He is really a typical young kid that's doing things his way. This is what I'm told to do. I'm going to go do it and I'm going to make sure it happens. And it cost him his life. And it's a sad thing, but it cost him his life. All right, verse 31. And Jehoiahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah unto, of Libna. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And Pharaoh Necro put him in bands in Riblah in the hand of Hamath that he might not reign in Jerusalem and put the land to tribute a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. All right. Elohaz had a very long reign, three months. This also indicates that when we've talked about Pharaoh saying, I don't have anything to do with you at this time, his plan was to come back because in three months he's back here taking Jerusalem. So his plan had been to go take care of, of Babylon and come back and take care of that upstart Josiah. Now he's going to take care of Josiah's son. All right, Three months he gets to reign and he doesn't last at, at all against Pharaoh. Three months and he is taken away in chains and they put a tribute... A, a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. A hundred talents of silver is approximately 125,000 pounds of silver. Somewhere at today's rate of exchange, about $51 million of silver. So that, is that like a ransom or something? A ransom. Yeah. You, can, you can have your kingdom, I'm in your, but you're going to pay me to keep your kingdom. That's what a tribute is. All right, uh, and a talent of gold is about 100, 125 pounds of gold or about $3 million in gold by today's standards. That's a lot of money. That was a lot of money that he extracted from Israel. And this was going to happen every year. That's what tribute was, every year. That's a lot of money in our day. It was a huge amount of money in their day. And he took Jehoiahaz 
and made him a prisoner and took him out of Israel. And then in verse uh, 23, And Pharaoh Necho made Elohim the son of Josiah in the room of Josiah his father and turned his name to Jehoiakim and took Jehoiahaz away and, and he came to Israel, Egypt and died there. And Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold of the people in the land and everyone according to his taxation to give to Pharaoh Necro. All right. So Pharaoh takes Jehoiahaz out, puts a heavy burden, financial burden on them, puts Jehoiahaz uh, jo Josiah's other son, uh, I lost his name, uh, El Elikim, and renamed him Jehoiakim. All right? We're going to have fun with this because there's going to be uh, Jehoiakim uh, and Jehoiachin coming up here in a very short period of time. So Josiah's first son didn't get to rule very long, three months. And they put this man in there, in there and said, now you're going to pay me this money. And it says he paid it. How did he pay it? Well, the way all, government, all governments pay, pay, pay debt. They tax the people. I do not have a clue how much tax this was for everybody, but you've got to figure they're trying to raise 50, oh, $55 million worth of uh, revenue at that period of time. They taxed pretty heavy. All right. Uh, everybody is there, and it says he, he brought the taxes and put a heavy blow upon them. He is not going to be a very popular king because all he's doing is taxing. Because remember what they said about Solomon. Solomon's tax rate got up really high because of all the building programs he did. When his son took over, they go, your dad has really had high taxes. If you would just lower our taxes, we'd be happy to follow you. And his Dad's advisor said, that's a pretty good idea. You, you, it'd be a good idea for you to lower their taxes. But all of his friends said, ha, you're, you're, you're young and in charge. You just tell them you're in charge. <laughs> and you thought, you thought my dad was having taxes? You just wait. This is where Jehoiakim is going to be. He's going, well, I need to raise taxes. I need money to pay Pharaoh. Uh, my brother only ruled for three months. If I don't pay Pharaoh, I may have a shorter reign than that. Uh, so we're going, to, we're going to collect. So he sent out all the tax collectors everywhere to tax. All right, you have 10 chickens, I want nine. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it was that high, but you, know, you understand. It's like, all right, you've got 10 chickens, give us eight. You can keep one rooster and one hen so that you'll have chickens next, next year when we come. All right, you've got, you've got a flock of 100. You can have one ram and, and five you and give us the, give us the, other, the other 94. They needed money. They needed, they needed to raise funds for Pharaoh. And they put a burden on the people that they just could not handle. And in verse 36, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zabuda, the daughter of Pedariah of Rumah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So they are both following grandpa 
and great-grandpa and great-great-grandpa and not dad. They had no desire to follow God, which is very sad because Josiah could not even convert his own family to be able to follow God. All that he's done, all that he's trying to do to bring people back to God, and he doesn't even win his own family. Now, when we look at all that he did, it sounds like he was never home. All right? He is everywhere chasing down idols and, and tearing down temples and going up to the northern kingdom and, and tearing down all their idols and stuff. So it sounds like he was never home. And who's raising these kids? We don't know. But they're being raised up after the patterns of grandpa. Maybe grandpa was trying to do some of the teaching. We don't know. Maybe the, the, the tutors and everything that grandpa had were doing the teaching. But these men were not converted to God and turned their whole heart right back to evil and brought the people back into idol worship. All right. Verse, chapter 24, verse 1. In his day, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years, and he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him the bands of the Chaldeans and the bands of the Syrians and the bands of the Moabites and the, and the bands of the children of the Amorites and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoke by his servant, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he did, and also for the innocent blood that he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with the innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. All right. Jehoiakim gets to rule for 11 years. Eight years in, he, gets con he, he, may, he becomes the vassal. Instead of Egypt, he becomes the vassal of Babylon. And, and at one point, he decides he's going to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. All right. Not a wise move because Nebuchadnezzar is the up-and-coming ruling king at this point, not fully, fully in, in place yet, but up and coming. And then it's very interesting, it's not Nebuchadnezzar who immediately comes against him. Verse 2 says, and the Lord sent against him the Chaldeans, the Syrians, the Moabites, and the Amorites. This is people from all directions. If, you know, if we know our history of Israel, these are all nations that have been problems for them all the time in the past. The Moabites, the Amorites are on the, on the east side of the Jordan River and they're coming over. Uh, he's got the Syrians from the north. He's got the Chaldeans from that, from that area. He is being attacked every time he turns around from all different directions. And he's got to worry about Nebuchadnezzar at some point coming down because he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. He is in a sorry state because of his rebellion. Now, if you read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah has been telling the kings, just do what you're supposed to under Nebuchadnezzar and, not, and, and all these bad things aren't going to happen to you. When we get to Jehoiachin, Jeremiah is going to tell him, don't run, because they try to make a run for, for Egypt and they get conquered, they get captured. And they made Jeremiah go with them and Jeremiah knew that he wasn't supposed to leave the city, but... God blessed him anyway. All right, that's all in the book of Jeremiah. But all of this happens 
and they're not listening to the prophets teach. The prophets are saying, don't rebel against God. Keep seeking after God. Keep following after God. And they're not willing to do so. And they're all going to just do their own thing. And then it goes, surely the commandment of the Lord came upon this to Judea to remove them for the sins of Manasseh and all that he did, that he shed innocent blood in Jerusalem. And this is going back to chapter 21. The biggest complaint God had against Manasseh is all of the child sacrifices he had made. During his time, he sacrificed many of his own children. The people of Israel were sacrificing their children. And God said that was his big one. It's bad enough that all you adults are going out and worshiping idols and not worshiping me. But you're killing the innocent children. And that irritated God. What did Jesus tell the people that said, you know, tried to, you know, and, uh, when the disciples tried to keep the children, he goes, no, let them come to me. He goes, it would be better for somebody to have a millstone, a one-tone one ton stone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea than to hurt a child. God takes it seriously when children are hurt. And he goes, Manasseh, you hurt innocent people. You were killing all these innocent people. And now the judgment's going to fall. It's taken several decades, but the judgment is now beginning to fall in Israel Judah is starting to come apart. Josiah bought them a little extra time through his, through his reign, but now his two sons are not going to go do well. Uh, Jehoiakim has had 11 years, is going to have 11 years of, of it. His brother only had three months, and each of the other ones are not going to have a long period of time because they're all under attack, not just from the people, but God has turned his back on them. And nothing is worse than having God turn his back on you. you. You can get away with a lot of stuff until God turns his back. What were you going to say? He was disobeying God's commands for the prophet to begin with. Manasseh has said, you know, because of Manasseh's sin and him, him, him disobeying God, God is allowing these attacks. So it's not Nebuchadnezzar. I don't believe it's Nebuchadnezzar telling these nations to go get him. No. So God sent them. Yeah. But I'm not even sure that Nebuchadnezzar somehow was up behind the scenes. Nebuchadnezzar is busy somewhere else because he's still trying to beat Assyria. But that's not why God sent all these people no. to him. Because they rebelled against God, not because, because of the rebellion against God. I was confused it could also be because he's rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar because he was told by the prophet not to. But that's still the disobedience to God, not, not to Nebuchadnezzar. So, and this is the problem. We disobey God, and it may appear that we're disobeying somebody else. And God says, you disobeyed me, and here's your judgment. God tells us to be uh, respectful of our authorities, to honor our authorities and everything. And if we start disobeying authorities, then we're disobeying God, and we'll get judged for disobeying God, not for just disobeying the authority even though it will look like I'm being disobeyed for, I'm being punished for disobeying the, the authority. But here God is saying, I'm bringing this judgment because of your disobedience. You're not listening to the prophets. Ultimately, because of the disobedience of Manasseh. 
Because Manasseh was told, the prophecy Manasseh was told, because of your disobedience, I'm not destroying the land during your time, but your children will be carried off into captivity. All right? Now, we had Ammon, we had Ahab, and then we had Josiah. God could have destroyed Judah any time during those first two descendants of Manasseh. Josiah comes along and tries to turn the nation. God gives them one more chance. If Josiah had been able to get their hearts, the people's hearts turned to God, who knows how much longer they would have lasted. We don't know. And I don't want to play what ifs, but if they had repented as a, from their heart of the people, then maybe, maybe then something else would have happened down in this process. But they did not. God knew they wouldn't. And he'd already laid in plans for Babylon to come along and destroy Judah and capture them. And this is going to be what's going to end up happening as we get to these last couple chapters. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and conquer and take them out of place. But right now, he is fighting for his life. Every time he turns around, there's somebody else attacking him. Yeah. He's still busy trying to raise tribute money and taxes, and yet he's being attacked. And can you imagine, all these raiders are coming in. These are bands. They're not full armies. They're coming in and stealing all the silver and gold from his people and, and products that they're supposed to sell so that he could tax them so that he can send the money to Nebuchadnezzar. And every time he turns around, he's being attacked and harassed and costing him taxes. And every time he's turning around, he's getting panicky. He can't pay, you know, he's... He's having a hard time paying his army. He's got Nebuchadnezzar who's going to come down for some money here soon. He's got Pharaoh that might come, to, come back up for some money. You know, he's got all these people that want things from him. And he's not able to give it to them. And he can't even take care of himself. And this is what it's like when we're away from God. The lost go through this all the time. It seems like everything that's going wrong for them. And it is because God's trying to get their attention. For him, everything's going wrong for him. I can't pay the, the, the tributes they want. I'm being attacked on all the sides. My army is so busy defending this that I can't even get the army ready to, to defend. I can't build defenses to fight, fight uh, Nebuchadnezzar when he comes out of the north because I can't, can't get my fortresses built up. I can't get men in those places because I'm so busy fighting all these people. He's in a panic just as any government would be if there, there's problems on every side of them. Much like our government right now is going into a panic because of all the problems and all the directions that we have problems in that they're trying to spend their way out of. All right? And this is the thing. When you don't honor God, problems appear to multiply and, and keep getting bigger. And without God, there's no way out of the problem. And this is where Jehoiakim is. He does not see an exit out of this problem. He's got Pharaoh in the south that would love to give him, get, get back in them. He's got Nebuchadnezzar who conquered him, who now he rebelled against. He was eight years under, under the one, and now he's rebelled against the other. He's almost at the end of his kingdom. He's being attacked by all these little countries all around him. He's being harassed from every place else. He's got two big countries on, on the north and the south ready to come in and get him. And he does not know what to do because he's not going to repent. He is not going to repent. And God says, this is all because of what Manasseh did, ultimately because of what Manasseh did. 
but it's also he deserves it. All right, he's doing evil. He is already bringing the idols in back in. He's already worshiping idols. He's doing everything wrong and not following God. So he's doing everything wrong, and God says, okay, this is it. You're not listening to my prophet Jeremiah. If you read Jeremiah, this is one of the kings that kept throwing Jeremiah into prison. Every time he spoke, Jeremiah, I felt sorry for Jeremiah. God told him nobody was going to listen to him anyway. But every time he spoke to the king, he got thrown into prison. He got thrown into a cistern. He got, got beat. Now, I, I, I would not have liked to have been Jeremiah. Now, God, no, not another message to the king. What's he going to do to me this time when I give him the message? All right? Uh, and over and over again, all these kings had Jeremiah talking to them and uh, not, listening to, not listening to them as he goes out. All right, let's go ahead and end Jehoiakim. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his stead. And the king of Egypt came not up anymore out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates all that pertained to Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar is getting powerful, all right? Jehoiakim dies, his son Jehoiachin takes over. And what is he taking over? A land that's being harassed on all four sides, and now he doesn't have to worry about Egypt because Egypt's already been conquered. But Nebuchadnezzar had bypassed Judah, going down to Egypt, conquered Egypt all the way to the Nile, all the way to the Euphrates. He owned, he owned everything. He's conquered Assyria. He's conquered all of Egypt. He's knocked out the number one and the number two kingdom, and he is now number one. He's expanding to the, toward the uh, east, and he gets as far as India. So he has a huge, the Babylonian Empire is a huge empire, and then he's going to start turning his eyes on Jerusalem. And with this new young king who doesn't know anything yet. And this is the problem. When you first take over a kingdom, it's hard to get your feet under. You've got to find out who's on your side, who's not on your side, who, who you can depend on, who you can't depend on. Uh, you hope to, you can depend on all of your pre predecessors, leaders, but you may not be able to. So you're, he's still getting his feet under, under him. He's trying to consolidate the army under his command, get the generals to agree that he's the, he's the one they want to follow. And that's not an easy thing in a dictatorship sometimes to get the generals to agree with you, especially if you're young like he is. They're going to look at him like, uh, well, who are you? We, we're the ones that have been out there fighting battles. We're, we're 40, 50 years old. We're the ones that have all been fighting these battles. Why should we follow you? You young, you young kid, you don't know anything, and you're, going, and you're going to be the one that wants to give us orders. Very dangerous time for him. And again... Battles everywhere. He's got raiders coming in. There's the raiders coming in. There's the, uh, the southern border has been taken care of, but now he's got to worry that it also belongs to Nebuchadnezzar. Now he's surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar and could be attacked at any time by the number one nation that's up and coming. And he gets to take the, the reins of the kingdom at a time when everything looks bad. Uh, let's go to nine. We still got five minutes, uh, ten minutes.
Verse 8, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned Jerusalem for three months, and his mother's name was Nahushta, the daughter of Elanathan of Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. So another young man taking the throne. All right, and he's very young. He's only 18. Not as young as Josiah when he took over, but he is, this, but he is young. And he's got all kinds of these hassles going on. And young guys oftentimes do not make good decisions. And his first really bad decision was he keeps worshiping idols and doesn't turn to God to follow after God. And God is going to say, enough. And he's going to allow things to happen. And next week we'll look at Nebuchadnezzar coming in and conquering and taking him out. He's only going to rule for three months before Nebuchadnezzar comes in. And you've got to think, to lose your city in three months, is a, you know, a city like Jerusalem can handle besiegements, is a big deal. All right? That was a quick defeat of Jerusalem. And uh, we're going to end there. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you guide and lead us in all that we do today and the rest of this week as we go on. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.